Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This time on The Kindness Project, inventions, curiosity, and we have part one of our interview with Pradeep Mystery from Life's Mystery. Welcome to The Kindness Project. I'm joined by a man who has had me sitting here for half an hour. It's Chris Dames. I had to work away. I had to, I had to crack on with a bit of business. Um, and I'm joined by a girl who seems to be a bit confused about life. It's Charlotte Dames. What are you confused about, mate? You, you asked for a question, and life is generally confusing because every question leads to an answer that only leads to more questions. Well, every question potentially leads to another question that leads to another question, and that's the wonder of life, isn't it? Yeah. Staying curious and working out sort of what the what the question is. We need to stop high fiving. <laughs> so I know high fiving on a point podcast is the most pointless thing in the world, isn't it? You can but hear it. but what it did make me think about is a question <laughs> of the podcast. So I'm going to talk about that now. The question that I want to ask today is: What are you curious about at the minute? You know, what question, what burning question has been on your mind and you're thinking, I really need to know the answer to that? And what's yours? Cheese. What about cheese? Who first... Who first... Who first? <laughs> who first looked at cheese and... Uh, who first looked at milk and went, this could be better warm, thick and mouldy? <laughs> who, who decided that? Sounds like my love life in my 20s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I was I actually I was actually with your mum in your in, in, in I the know, I know. <laughs> No, I just I thought it was I thought it would be a funny thing to say. But you're right. There's a lot of foods where you go, where does that where does the idea from that come from? And how do you move from like that as a concept? Right. Who, who first decided to eat a tomato? <laughs> Don't know. I, look, you can imagine with berries and stuff like tomatoes yeah. that people have been plucking it off the trees and putting or it in like, their mouth. You know those those luminous ed- edible flowers that they put on decorations as food, even though luminous f- flowers are usually poisonous. But I, you know what? I, I like, where does like where where did the original concept for beer come from? Because that is a long process, isn't it? I think someone just got bored one day and was like, do you you want to give this a go? I wonder, who was the first person ever in the world to get drunk? That's what I'm curious about today. (laughs) Who was the first person who thought, oh, this is all right. I'm just sort of... And then woke up in the morning with the world's first hangover. I mean, that that must have been been a strange experience. So, listeners, um, Charlotte is wondering about um, who's the first person to invent cheese. I'm wondering who was the first person ever in the world to get drunk. I'm sure you've got far more interesting questions to share with us and talk about. And you can get in touch with us in the following ways. On Facebook, we, there's a search bar at the top. We didn't put it there, but it is very useful for us. If you just put The Kindness Project, we come up automatically, which is great. Uh, if you go to Twitter and put at Ola Kindness, we'll come up there too. Uh, we have an email, ola at thekindnessproject.co.uk. We have a website, www.thekindnessproject.co.uk. And I think I've covered all our bases. MySpace. MySpace, yeah. Um, Friends are united. Yeah, no, don't worry about them. We nobody, <laughs> nobody looks at them at all. Um, but 
we have got a bit of an announcement to make because uh, I was speaking to our esteemed producer. Yeah, it's a it's a surprise for you as well. I was um, I was speaking to our esteemed producer Russell yesterday and a friend of the show producer of the show so your brother yeah my brother my um, uncle uh, yeah the relationships are deep they go deep <laughs> um and uh, we are now on seventy-five thousand downloads nice 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 stuff no you're not nice sorry how we saying it nice what what word is that meant to be I'm curious about what words Charlotte's trying to say right now, because this word, noise. <laughs> is it noise? Is it? Is it? <laughs> it's just fun confusing you. <laughs> noise. I don't noise. know. What, what accent was that? I don't know. I don't know. Sounds a bit like Marcus. Um, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, we're not even going to go down, You're Marcus. We're, we're not. Even, we're not. Are we not talking no, about Marcus? No. We're not, we are. We pretending Marcus doesn't exist for what? the for the purpose of this thing. But now we're formally team. We can't pretend we don't know about Marcus, can we? I've said Marcus quite a lot. <laughs> we can have a move right. on. So let's move on and do a little um, bit of. Kindness news. And I'd like to go kindness news animal edition. Oh. Okay. Um, and I'd like to first talk about cats because there is some more evidence that um, ancient DNA shows cats domesticate themselves. Lazy I mean, buggers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cats, right? Um, I've got an easy life, haven't they? I mean, literally. I mean, they come and go. They get fed. They, they get. Pets. Literally, they, they, unlike dogs who are loyal creatures, cats are a bit like, what are you going to feed me then? What, what, what are you up to, mate? You know, sort your life out. Um, so let me talk about domestication of animals. Domestication of animals was an amazing feat that changed human relationships with the natural world. But while a Pomeranian looks nothing like a wolf, Wolf, a thoroughbred jump horse looks nothing like a wild pony, and a pot-bellied pig looks nothing like a black boar. Domestic house cats look pretty much the same as wild cats. Except they're teeny tiny. Is that they're smaller? That's because they domesticated themselves, not through form but through function. And research reveals that wild cat ancestors share essentially the same DNA as house cats today. Um, so that's interesting. I don't know why that's on the Good News Network, though, Charlotte, to be honest. But let's pick a, uh, an inspiring um, story for, it is for our fun next to think one. About. Um, uh, photo of paralysed man um, cleaning plastic from India River goes viral and he's showered with gifts to better his life. A passion for photography has always possessed this young engineer from Kerala, India. Now he knows there was a purpose. After a photo he took while walking around his village, ended up changing a man's life and getting a shout out from India's Prime Minister. Carrying around a rented cam camera searching for stories, Nandu K found very, nothing very interesting until one day he came across a bridge. I was always keen to capture images which had a story to tell, images which had life. I noticed a man rowing a boat and collecting something from the river, Nandu told the Good News Network. The old man was N.S. Rajapan and he's been plucking plastic bottles from the river for years to earn a meagre living. Paralysed since the age of five when he was struck with polio, his daily routine had been keeping the waterways of Vabana 
the Bamanad Lake, clear of plastic, all from the seat of the small boat. Without crutches, the 69-year-old would drag his legs a short way down the riverbank to the Minachil River, after which he was free to wander the water in search of bottles. Filling his boat with plastic only earns him about 17 cents, but it's enough for a meal, and it's satisfying to know he's helping the environment. Somebody should remove the waste from the water, he said, and I am doing what's possible for me. You know what's interesting about that? The fact that this guy who's disabled mm. knows that he can make a positive impact in the world yeah. and takes action to do that. Um, uh, so this photographer uploaded the story to the Pro Media Facebook page um, and people began retweeting it saying, let's make this guy famous. Um, the UN Environment, the director of the UN's Environment Programme, Eric Soheim, um, also did it. Um, Indian Prime Minister Nahindra Modi, Modi got involved and then was um, praising Rajapan's efforts. And then it went viral. And the elder worker got loads of gifts. So he got um, a new motorboat, courtesy of a local businessman, uh, some the plans are in place to build a house, and um, uh, the, there's loads of people helping him out, including a Bangalore-based company making him a wheelchair. So that good deed, that he did completely unrewarded and completely unrecognised, and was quite happy to do it, has now been um, shown to... Um, have a benefit to the world and he's been rewarded accordingly. Nice. Lovely story. Shall we move on with the show? Yeah. So this week's interview, Charlotte, is uh, with Mr. Pradeep Mystery. Pradeep is a coach and he helps people work out what might be next in their lives. And we talked to him about um, the challenge that people face um, in terms of uh, what happens next in their lives and how kindness can play a part. Would you like to listen to the first stage of the interview? Yes. Hi Pradeep, how are you? Hello Chris, good morning, I'm very well thank you, good to see you. Good to see you as well. Um, thanks for coming in. Uh, I know that we've got loads to talk about because not only do you work with people who are thinking about what's next in their life and doing good stuff might include, like, might be part of that plan, but you also do a decent amount yourself to help people, so I just want to talk a little bit about that, but before we uh, dig a bit deeper, tell me a little bit about you. Well, what can I say? Um, uh, I was born in Africa, East Africa, had a lovely childhood there, nature, climbing up mango trees, beautiful memories, and climbing up ant hills. And then I came to England when I was about 10, 11 uh, years old, went straight into secondary school, had a great time, best time at what, school. What made, what made your family come over to the UK? Uh, I think it's probably progress, because my father wanted to make sure that we had decent education and okay. a decent life to build something for ourselves, because that's what he did in Africa. He yeah. had a successful life there, and he wanted to sort of leverage us up to move on and expand in what we do. Okay. 
So, yeah, that was part of the reason coming here. But, uh, yeah, school days were great. I was up in Yorkshire. I don't have any Yorkshire accent. I think I've lost that in time. So moved over to Leicestershire. Again, countryside, beautiful places. I grew up, best time at school. Uh, and then I got married. Okay. And then I, I decided to uh, find my own ways and came down to London. Went straight into industry, uh, into big companies, uh, petroleum companies, working as an accountant. Yeah. Then opportunity came to become a management consultant, which okay. is something I was doing within the company as well. Right. And that took me globally around to Central Asia, Russia, uh, a lot of European places, Central Asia, South Asia. So it gave me an exposure to be able to travel and yeah. explore and meet And travel people. broadens the mind, right? Do you, do you find that? I would absolutely recommend it to anybody yeah. to not just go on the holiday to Lanzarote yeah. or somewhere like that, but just go and explore Uncharted areas and what's just so many the, areas. What's the place in the world that fascinates you the most? The place that uh, I really love dearly and is so rich in history is Central Asia. Okay. Um, if you've heard of Silk Route, which used to yeah. stretch from China to Silk Road, yeah, to, yeah. Uh, that's right, to uh, to Western Europe, and that was a sort of melting pot of cultural exchange, religious exchange, yeah. trading route everything under the sun and that was a great route to go through and I actually went there and I could see the remnants of uh, the legacies of all those people who travelled Yeah, uh, we like to think we travelled by air but in those days it was road travel Yeah, maybe on camelbacks or something yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's no vehicles yeah. but uh, all that gave us time to explore and learn about other people because we were not in a rush like we fly from one place to another to the other side of the world yeah. and um, you miss the journey yeah yeah. here you had the time and that uh, helped you explore people build relationship with people and expand your mind you just mentioned travelling and the interesting thing about that sort of stretch of land from China to, to, to Europe and Turkey and beyond is the cultures across that expanse are so diverse, right? You know, you've got sort of so many different cultures, so many different ways of thinking, so many different, you know, types of people. And yeah, it must have been been interesting. So, How long ago did you go there? Oh, this was when I was doing management consulting. So I'm talking about 10 years ago before okay. I embarked on this journey. Okay. okay. And what I'm doing now. But certainly what you're saying is quite uh, rich, richness as well. There were diverse cons- uh, cultures but it also brought a lot of people together yeah okay you do hear stories about warfare Genghis Khan Alexander the Great and all these but uh, the undercurrent was people had this connection at a deeper level yeah even though you were total strangers you spoke different languages but we all have the same feelings same needs and that became a cross-cultural fertilization of language you picked up each other's language yeah. uh, you had a connection with the common values and I think that's the richness that we sort of over a period of time we've lost yeah. but we are beginning to connect at a deeper level I also think you're right I think we as as humans we share more than makes us different and sometimes we lose sight of that particularly when it uh, when it comes to politics you know sometimes we lose sight that there's more that connects us than uh, than, than divides us tell me a little bit about the work you do now because you mentioned that you've sort of changed 10 years ago help me understand a little bit more about the work you do now uh, I did 10 years ago I was going through a process of transition which uh, I see a lot of people going through now in their lives more so at an earlier age than before 
from our father's generations, you know, they didn't have a path. It was a clearly defined career, an end of career, and then they retired. Yeah. But for our generation, we've gradually started exploring the landscape of asking what next. And my journey started when I was at a crossroad and I, I was thinking about, uh, it's a period I call uh, midlife, not crises, midlife opportunities. Okay. It's an opportunity for you to review your life, what the journey you've been on, your career, what you've done, your achievements, and think what next. And this is a golden opportunity for you to explore what um, options you have and challenges. And I suppose 10 years ago, I was at that spot and I see uh, the clients that I serve are in their own journeys and we explore their options and opportunities there and it's a voyage of exploration rather than oh my god what do I do now I don't have a job or something but you know if you're still in reasonable good health now and you have some level of financial backing which is what you look after then you can expand yourself further and you know you can do loads of things it's it's an interesting one though because I think one of the a lot of the conversations we have with our clients over and above the money is around what defines them as an individual and sometimes work is a defining factor of somebody's life so how do you support them to make that transition from let's say taking you as an example accountant to something else how do you how do you support them to to do that you're you're quite right because what you just uh, touched on is your identity Mm. your identity is tied very closely to your profession so you could be electrician plumber lawyer accountant doctor whoever and you're known by that person your name comes secondary but your profession comes first. So when you come to that crossroad and you want to transit, it is a sort of clearing process to let go of the old identity and reinvent yourself. Okay. And that's the process I take my clients through. Uh, it's not meant to be a frightening prospect, but it's an exciting time for you to get to know yourself, who you really are, without that label. So you okay. get an opportunity to redefine yourself. And tell, help me understand the, the, how those steps uh, laid out. So, those that what steps do you need to take somebody through to to help them develop that new identity? Mm. Usually, it's uh, how they're transiting, because if you try, there are different circumstances and situations you transit from your work environment to something else, and it could be either relocation, it could be um, a change of job, or it could be you had to come out of a job, or from illness. Mm. All these are defining factors that pays your way forward into how effective you can be in redefining yourself. If you're carrying a sort of traumatic event for transition, you have to unpack that first. Okay. If you're leaving on good terming with your sort of employer or your profession, then it makes it much more easier to redefine yourself. Yeah. So the process I go through is explore that and then sort of put that, acknowledge it and then put it aside and see what you can get out from that. Okay. And then what we do is we redesign with your wishes wants, desires that would have been latent in your life because you know when you're a teenager you've got all these ideas about what you want to do and then your career takes over so you're on a mapped path of career now when you don't have that you have to redefine yourself and this is an opportunity for you to find your own footings and your own new identity to move forward Okay, I understand that. And, wh- and when you're coaching somebody, how do you make sure that you're having a really good understanding of what they're aiming to achieve in their life? Listening. Okay. Listening is a skill because usually uh, with my clients, 
is the, their life. So what we do is allow them to allow them the time and the space to speak their mind. They have a lot of things to talk about or say or offload. And that is where the key strength is, where we guide through, I guide through the thinking process to see what actually comes out at the other end, because usually it comes out something like uh, magical, because you start with some apprehension or worries or concern about your life at the present moment and fear of the future. But as you start exploring, it paves a way to create something new. How, how important do you think continuous goals are? Because sometimes I suppose one of the things that you get about the world of work is that you've got either a financial target or a, a, an aspiration to achieve commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those goals are lost when it can look like you're transitioning into something that isn't related to a financial target anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, how important are establishing goals for people in that period of their life? Uh, goals are sort of two types. There's a strategic goal, so there are immediate goals. Your immediate your goals is you know getting up in the morning and make sure you feed yourself and look after yourself that then those are automated you do that without thinking much uh, so they're sort of low-level goals. Then you stretch yourself into, well, how am I going to spend my day today? What am I going to be doing? So that's on a daily basis. And then you stretch to a 12-month goal, which is a year. And we do that at the end of this time of the year, basically. Huh? Talk about what you want to achieve next year. And then you look more strategic, maybe five years' time. Now, those are actually uh, roadmarks for you to achieve. If you fall behind, then you have to start questioning why. Okay. Like you said, if there's uncertainty or you're... F- you trip over the first um, hurdle, it can be quite uh, disillusioning and it can be off-putting. But you need somebody to support you who believes in you that, yes, you've got the strength, you've got the ability to keep moving. Yeah, temporary failure is not permanent failure, is it? That's the thing. It's like, just get back on that horse and make sure you're you're okay. And what sort of, just give me an example, what sort of, sort of medium to longer term goals would you set for a client that you work with who um, who who is tr- going through that transition process? Mm. The steps we do is, again, defined as baby steps. So you look at what is achievable now. And yeah. when you start walking slowly, you start building up momentum, I call traction. And then as you start gaining traction, you start expanding yourself with further goals, okay. uh, longer goals. And that's how we usually start. Because when you start from a standstill, it's very difficult. It's a bit like trying to ride a bicycle from standing still you need that extra push to get you moving and what what sort of medium term goals would somebody select once they've started getting that traction it's usually uh, the uh, the needs and aspirations of the clients is based entirely around them okay. so let's say for example say they have health challenges now so immediate address to issue to address is health yeah uh, so we explore what is it that they're doing now that's creating this unpleasant health or health challenges we address that so once you address that then you say okay now you're sort of a little bit more fitter what can what else can you do because then you can stretch yourself and say well actually i'm much more healthier now i'd like to do something that i did trekking yeah yeah yeah. set yourself a challenge it could be a personal challenge or it could be work-related challenge so you could say right okay i want to go and do something totally different to what i was doing from my previous career but 
use the skills and talents from that to build on these complementary skills. Gotcha, understand that. Tell me, tell me a story about the work that you're most proud of that you've done with a client. Um, I guess it's, uh, I mean, I have a lot of examples of it, but more recent one was, uh, uh, and I'm still working with him. I met him early this year when uh, he was a very successful city executive. Uh, money was no issue, had a very powerful career from an early beginning from the sort of early 20s. His career just went on a high uh, flight path. And at the age of about 56, he was thinking, you know, what he's doing is sort of not having as impactful uh, emotionally for him. And he was hitting a, a ceiling, so he wanted to stretch himself. So I met him about sort of three months after he officially retired and resigned from the corporate world. And um, he was in a place where he could see there's a lot of opportunities, but he was getting overwhelmed. So he was remaining stagnant. He's a bit like a rabbit in a headlight. And uh, that was affecting his health. So simple question. I asked him, how's your weight? And he says, oh, I'll put on two kilos. Right. No, not two kilos, almost a stone. Okay. And what was happening in his world was that he'd become stagnant and he was affecting his health. He was picking up uh, unhealthy habits. So we engaged with him and then started addressing the immediate habitual patterns because he's going into unhealthy habits. And we reviewed that because he was becoming more aware of it. So he was consciously changing it. Then from there on, we projected, okay, what can he do with the skills that he was bringing? And he he did a bit of investigation and research, and he says, you know, I can do loads of work in this extra area or certain areas. And I said, right, now's the challenge to pick and choose, because otherwise it gets overwhelming or too many opportunities. Yep, yep. So the challenge becomes choosing. So we started looking at something that he could do and contribute the most with his skills. So it was a step then into one role. And then because he still had a lot of time, it wasn't full time. So he took on what we call a, a career portfolio. Mm. So he was offering his skills in different sectors, in different areas. But I, I completely get that overwhelm. You know, that, you know, the, the opportunity sometimes is too big. And there's a paralysis that comes with that, where all you've got to do is just take the one next baby step as you started to, to, to get to a point where you can you can do that. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. How did, he, how did he overcome that overwhelm? Was it just taking that first step and encouragement from you, Adam? His paralysis was choosing because he was overwhelmed with the opportunity. So he just had to choose something, didn't and he? And he wanted to do loads of things, yeah. but he was struggling to choose Bit which one. one. Yeah, yeah. And by choosing at least one or two of them, the next thing was taking the steps to actually mm. do it. Action is very important after choosing something. When you make a decision, yeah. there's an action steps to take. If you spell. don't, then you're still going to remain there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, And that, that action is creating a momentum in your life physically, and mentally which means that you're building tractions so one thing leads to another and at the moment he's had loads of opportunities in the cho- uh, in the areas that he chose mm. because they could see he has a lot to offer yeah. so there's a lot of call on his time but again he could quite easily get carried away by that call so he took a step back again or we took a back step back and decided to do it in his own way in his own time and that worked very well with everybody else mm. they respected his decision yeah. uh, and he was more welcoming for them that he was being honest about it and it helped him so he doesn't go into a routine of other people's priorities gotcha. his own and then also fulfilling other people's needs as well okay cool um 
I know that sort of you do a lot of charity work yourself and we're interviewing you for the Kindness Project today. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the work you do for others. But before we do that, I'm curious, how much of a... How much of a factor is giving to like if you've got if you're working with a client and you know money's no object, they're you know, financially they're sorted. Um, how much of a factor is giving to others part of that transitional process, and does that is that included in part of the plan of them? <laughs> Uh, it is indeed. That's one of the key elements that we take in. Okay. I, I go through a whole series of different aspects of your life, from health to your career to your finance. I don't do financial advice. That's your game. Uh, that's your profession. But we address all these things, and it's about mindset. It's a bit like a bicycle wheel. You know, you've got all these spokes in it. Yeah. Now, if you have one spoke missing, you're going to have a bumpy ride on your bicycle. Yeah. And life is like that. We talk loosely about work-life balance. Now, all these aspects of that wheel... Yeah. Uh, is so equally important. So when we talk about giving something back, is you sort yourself out with what you want to do first and then release some time. Uh, and that part in itself is contributes to the society at large. People who are uh, less well-off or vulnerable. And putting something back in there because you've got, at this stage, the physical ability and mental ability to be able to help somebody who may not have that. Yeah. And that in itself helps you to grow. It's not being selfish. Well, maybe it's selfish in giving yourself selflessly. That's what I mean by selfish. But it's also for the benefit of somebody else and you grow and you feel benevolent that you've contributed something to a society that's given you so much. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. If you if you if you've been lucky enough to to have the opportunities that you've made the most in your life, you've I think you've got a bit of an obligation to give give back. But it's yeah. in, it's interesting. Um, and I know you do a decent amount of work with AJUK. Tell us a little bit about that. I do. I well, ten years ago, eight nine years ago, I started my journey with AJUK Essex. Okay. Um, it started with the needs of my parents, actually, because they were getting old, they needed support and help, and there was a distance between where I lived and where they lived, so I had to practically travel every weekend to see them yeah. and help them. So I felt, you know, I served my parents in their old age, and it was a privilege to be able to look after somebody who looked after you when you were much younger. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's an obligation, it's just it's a pride mm. to take care of somebody who's in a place when you were a child. Do you think there's... There's a cultural difference, though, because I know sort of people with an Indian heritage typically do that a lot better than people who were born in the UK. Do you think there's a cultural obligation to do that? Uh, to a certain extent, yes, but that uh, cultural depends on where you are. I mean, you talk about Scotland, it's got a very family-oriented culture, you know, they take care for each member of the yeah, family. Yeah. Uh, likewise, in uh, South Asia, we have the same thing, and in England as well. Uh, most of my colleagues in Age UK are benevolent, you know, they're yeah. caring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody has a caring nature in themselves. It's often the case you hold yourself back but when you allow that to happen I work with a lot of volunteers from many different backgrounds many different cultural backgrounds but we all have this feeling of giving something mm. you know as a gratitude to what we've got yeah. and not a lot of people have what we have so when you acknowledge that there are people who are less fortunate than you are it's that gratitude going back to that feeling lucky about the opportunities you've been given isn't it it's, yeah. it's appreciation where you are and being 
being able to share that rather than you know keeping it to yourself yeah. because that in itself is a charitable nature we all have as human beings uh, we get in places sometimes in our lives where we need somebody's help and it may not be financial help or financially costing but all you need is somebody to say uh, hello to you yeah. and that can break the ice yeah. it doesn't cost you anything but that just that human interaction yeah. can break your cycle of despondency if you're in a dark place yeah, yeah just some support is fundamental isn't it just think you know when you're in a dark place and somebody smiles you what mm. do you see the first thing whites of their eyes and the whites of their teeth yeah. that is a light in itself I that think it's it, up to you I think it's an interesting point because the the sometimes it's the most simple stuff that can have the most impact you know just a smile or somebody being friendly or somebody just asking how you are is is super powerful isn't it and particularly if you if you're lonely and i know loneliness and we've had conversations on the podcast before loneliness can often be a challenge for people who are older um talk to me about some of the work you've done with age uk and loneliness certainly uh, loneliness is is something that creeps onto you it's not planned for you don't decide to get lonely yeah. it just happens you know when you have a when you've grown up with a whole group of people around you your family your siblings your neighbors your friends and even you know workplace when you go into an uh, older age as you start maturing you start losing some of these friends yeah. and as you go even much more older you'll find that there's nobody around who's your age so you have to start connecting with somebody younger and that's very difficult because you you build up a relationship with all these people and all of a sudden they're not around anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. and loneliness creeps in that way because you become isolated from society in general and loneliness is the biggest killer than any diseases mm. it can have a mental impact on your well-being and physical impact on your well-being and part of our work with age uk is i'm a befriender so I go and visit people in their own homes or in care homes or whatever that sometimes in hospitals yeah because they don't have anybody else around them the families have grown they make their own ways and maybe they've moved away out of the area uh, your friends or neighbors and nowadays you find neighbors are strangers you hardly yeah, see them yeah, yeah. hardly speak with them so you get isolated in your home my, my work is to go and visit them at least one hour a, a week and that they, that's something that stimulates them that you know they're not lonely there's somebody coming to visit them a friendly face somebody to talk to so whatever is on their head they can take it off and i've been through so many different people and it's given me so much joy to yeah. see them just brighten now yeah sometimes you get into a space a uh, dark space and uh, where it wasn't by choice there's one gentleman in thark uh, itself where he'd been hospitalized for seven months which means that he was looked after in the hospital environment he was fed watered uh, and taken care of he didn't have to do anything for himself except maybe have a bath and um, you know eat when he was well enough he was released and he'd forgotten what it was like to be independent mm. because he became so dependent he was so petrified that he wouldn't open the curtains up he wouldn't put the tv on or the radio mm. thinking he would be disturbing the neighbors and he he became uh, isolated in his own home imprisoned yeah. yeah and it just happened that one of the carers was kind enough to say i think you would better speak with somebody and that's when he reached out to age uk okay. and my coordinator took me over there to meet him first time and uh, and we just talked generally 
And uh, we agreed whether we usually leave it with them to decide whether they'd like me to come back again. And he said, yes, I'd like you to come back again because he found it so relieving and to talk to another human being. Yeah. And for uh, uh, two, two months after being released from hospital, he wasn't going out. When I met him the following day, uh, following week, I went to see him, had a nice chat with him in his place. We opened the curtains up, switched the light on. So he brought a bit of light in his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So following week, I said to him, look, you decide what you want to do. Um, the following week, I went there and he was completely dressed, really suited and booted. And he had a satchel in his arm and he said, I want to go and pay my bills. Okay. So something as simple as that, Something right? as simple as yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And that was a journey in itself. We went to the bank he normally used to go to. This was about eight, nine months ago. And he hasn't walked into the bank for that long. He went to the post office to pay the bills. And along the way, he met people who felt that, you know, he'd moved out of the area. And he started reconnecting and engaging yeah. with the people he knew. And in between my meetings, he started going out on his own. Simple thing, really. Uh, I asked him, why didn't you go out on your own? And he felt that if he was walking on his own and he tripped or fell, it was a fear of what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if so, there are youngsters walking by or running by and they clipped him and he fell over. It was that false sense of fear that he, he had. And he got beyond that because all he needed was somebody to walk with him and gain his confidence yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he would travel by buses to different places. He loved car boot sales and he would go to several of them yeah. during the week. And he got his life but back. But he just needed that nudge in the right direction, didn't he? You know, he he was actually interviewed by a radio show and he was asked oh, what we did as Age UK for him. And he says, oh yeah, they're really they were caring they were helpful and then they asked him what do you think you went through now to him because he was in a dark space he didn't really know what he was going through so he assumed he was some sort of a disease right. but it wasn't it was just that space where he became lonely yeah. Yeah. and somebody just opened up the curtains in his life and he got back to life and spent some time with him I love that story it's an amazing story thank you so much for Pleasure. sharing that so, what did you think of the first stage of the interview? It was good. I can't wait for the second bit. Sounds good. Should we do the end of the show? Tis the end. Oh, that's not what I was expecting. Right, now, I can see you checking your phone. Are you Googling Reader's Digest jokes again? <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking at the Reader's Digest website? No. You are like an old man in a young girl's body sometimes. You know that? I mean, nobody, nobody else I know, this young, eats Worms Originals and Googles the Reader's Digest. Nobody even checks it. When at the at Reader's Digest head office, they're going, somebody's on the website. I can't believe it. There's one person actually checking what's on the web. Um, have you got a good joke? No. Oh, okay. Should we do the end of the show then? Yeah, let's do it. So, Tis the end, but it's never the end till we answer last week's question of the podcast this week. And last week's question of the podcast was? Uh, was that the one about the wrestlers? Yeah. So what would your wrestler name be? Um, and we had loads of, uh, loads of good answers. Mark Bartley commented, uh, I be Bartman. PLC. Apparently he's a public limited company because <laughs> he's a wrestler. Um, uh, just as a reminder, what are you going for with your wrestler's name? The owl. the owl. You were the owl. Didn't we change that earlier in the week? 
I kept at the pebble, didn't I? Yeah. But you decided to go for a different name. No, I like the owl. You keep in the owl. Okay, the owl. that's fine. Mike Christie would be the beer barrel. Nice. There's a there's a beer related theme in the next one as well. Chris Haycock said 8.2 ABV, which is like the amount of alcohol in a, in an amount. <laughs> Hazel Grace would be the witch, um, and Al McCann said he'd be. Ginger Terror. Now, I have my own personal favourite is Rachel Vahey's, who just said the stroppy mum <laughs> um, as a as a wrestler name. There was a there was a boxer a few years ago who's who lost a bout. I remember watching the video, and his mum came in with her handbag and start attack, started attacking <laughs> the opponent. It's an amazing video. Look it out. And um, and friend of the show, uh, Mr. John. Cook said his wrestler name would be Blind Justice. Um, and that is it, my friends, for another episode of The Kindness Project. Um, have a lovely week. We'll see you next week for more um, fun and frolics. And um, do you want to say bye? I want to tell a joke. Do you want to say bye? Say bye. Say bye. I want to tell a joke. Oh, got it. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. What lights up a football stadium? Not your jokes, but... A football match. <laughs> and on that note, my friends, have a lovely week. Speaking it to some of the kindness projects. Bye. And thank you for that, frankly, awful yep. tag. Mm-hmm. See you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>